make sure you're opening your eyes and get educated and find colleagues and partners who can help get you educated. And then at some point, once you get to a certain level of knowledge, it can be very small and you define what small is, but then take an act and learn from it. You're listening to The Life & Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey everyone, I'm Annie Dickerson here with Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Not too bad. Yeah. Life is not too bad. Had a pretty nice weekend of relaxation, which it's been go, go, go for, I don't know, feels like months, but yeah. yeah. I heard you went on a nice date night with your husband. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Went on a nice date night and did some, we didn't really do a whole lot. Have you ever done one of those dates where you just leave the house, just uh, the house? Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We didn't even have like a whole lot planned. We had like a very casual dinner and then we brought like a mat and we just sat on the beach and talked. So great. Yeah. It's such a blessing when you find a partner like that, where you don't have to have anything special planned. You just Mm -hmm. love spending time with them. I remember one date night, my husband and I went on, we went to Whole Foods and we just walked every aisle and we were like, what (laughs) new things are there that we've never tried before? And we found some of our favorite snacks that night and we still buy to this day, but it's like the mundane everyday things, right? That's going to be our next date night. There you go. It's going to be walking through the aisles of Whole Foods. <laughs> it is so oh. fun. You sample things. You're like, oh, what's this? Oh, pickled okra, or, or like, what's right? this unique snack? Right? Like, yes, it's so and it's fun. so relaxing, right? Yes. Screaming at you that they're hungry, yes. which is usually when you go yes. to the grocery store, and you don't have all these random things showing up in your basket. Like, where did this come from? And it's just so peacefully you could walk through. It sounds like a dream. Seriously. Yes. That's- our next date night. I'll do a selfie at Whole Foods when we're there. It'll be so great. Uh, Well, speaking of great life partners, our guest today is Dr. Steve Goldberg, or Dr. G, as he's known, and his wife have had a very long and happy marriage to date. And he talks a lot about on the show how not only his journey as a physician and how he got into the medical field, but also a little bit about his wife's journey as an entrepreneur and how they came to together and they sort of recognize and appreciate and are grateful for each other's strengths and have come together really and have found alignment on their finances and in their investment strategy as well. And Steve talks about his journey to discovering real estate the first time and some mistakes <laughs> that he made the first time around and how he's now recently within the last few years rediscovered real estate with a new passion and a new strategy and focus and where he is now with passive investing and how that has fit in so beautifully with his goals and his life. I think it's awesome to hear for other investors who might be listening to the show. I think it's interesting to hear from another investor who sort of what their journey was like and to know we've brought on a number of investors, I think, to the show. And I think it's always interesting to hear what their journey is like, because just like as in life, no two people's journeys are exactly the same. Although 
my journey and your journey is very similar, which is funny, but no two people's journeys are, are alike. And I think that we also got the chance to ask Steve about what his thoughts were around multifamily, which I'm sure lots of investors are questioning that right now. Where are we headed with multifamily? What does it mean? What do I expect from cash flow? Do I still believe in this asset class? What does it all mean? And so it's good for, I think, the audience to hear from an investor, not just from us always about our opinions and what we think about the market, but it was fun to kind of pick his brain a little bit as an investor and find out what his thoughts were on where we're at. So yeah, and it was so fun to hear his story. And if you listen to the show and you pay attention, you'll hear the word that he's grateful, grateful and gratitude continues to show up throughout the show. And yeah, it's a great place to be living in a space of gratitude. So it was a fun show. Yeah, indeed. And I'm so glad you brought that up because it's so valuable whenever you're getting into something new to try to hear from all different perspectives about the thing you're trying to get into. Because with all these different companies, these sponsors, they're obviously, they're oftentimes trying to sell you something. So they're going to have a certain perspective, but hearing from other investors, people whose footsteps you're trying to follow, hearing what they're thinking about and what's top of mind for them can be really valuable for seeing if that's the right fit for you. And on that note, if you are new to the world of real estate syndications and passive investing in particular, we've got a great resource for you. It's our book, Investing for Good, and we have a free hardcover copy for all of you. Now, we wrote this book really from the vantage point of an investor ourselves, because that's where we started is as passive investors and real estate investors ourselves. And so a lot of the content in the book is written from that perspective. Now, at the end of the day, whether you decide to invest with us or not, that's completely up to you. We're just here to help make sure that you have the right information to make the right decisions for you and your family. So to get a copy of that book, again, it's called Investing for Good. Just go to goodegginvestments.com slash book. All right. With that, let's dive into our conversation with Dr. G. Dr. G, welcome to the show. How are you? Great, Annie. Great to be with you and Julie today. We're thrilled to have you here. Now, Steve, in addition to being a real estate investor, I know you're also a successful physician, and I know you have a deep, deep passion for impact and helping others. So start by telling us a little bit about how you got into the medical field in the first place, and then we'll talk about your journey into real estate investing as well. Now, this is a question I always ask every physician that I meet. So growing up, were you one of those kids who you always knew that you wanted to be a doctor or how did you decide to go into the medical field? My story is that I grew up in a family where there were actually 21 physicians, pharmacists, etc. I counted them at some time when I was a youth. So I decided very early, it was not something that I was going to do. And then I went to college and I was studying philosophy at Georgetown and I got into a focus on bioethics. At the time, Jimmy Carter was president. He commissioned a critical study of in vitro fertilization. And I was very intrigued about the ethical issues and its overlap with science. And I surprised myself and said, golly gee, let's look a bit at medicine. And I volunteered at the Georgetown Hospital in a pediatric cancer ward, and it proved to be very compelling. And so I rallied and did all the medical requirements and got accepted to medical school. So 
that's my journey. Isn't that funny? It's like you were trying to rebel by going outside of medicine. You're like, I don't want anything to do with this whole science thing. I'm going to go into philosophy way over here. I'm going to do something way different. The rest of you 21 doctors in the family, I don't want anything to do with all of that stuff that you're doing. I'm going to do my own thing over here. And the universe, fate, destiny, whatever it was, brought you back into the fold. I'm curious, the 21 doctors you mentioned in your family, are they like all sorts of different like different disciplines yes psychiatrists orthopedic surgeons general surgeons emergency medicine practitioners pharmacists clinical and non-clinical so it was pretty broad base yeah Wow, man, those family reunions must be really interesting. <laughs> we have a few, I have a, I have a small family, but my husband has three sisters and their family has a number of physicians and nurses and whatnot. And when they get together, whenever they start talking about the medical stuff, I just like totally zone out. I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> like, okay, you guys go on. But with all those physicians in the family, I'm sure it's a rousing good time talking about all sorts of medical, fun medical stuff. Yeah, some of them are focused very much on direct patient care topics and others have gravitated to thinking about health policy issues. And then a very small number actually are entrepreneurs that have owned everything from small businesses to car dealerships to real estate. But that was a small minority of the pool of clinicians that I grew up watching and learning from. Interesting. Okay. So you sort of took the circuitous route, but then you decided, okay, I am actually interested in medicine. You got into medical school. And so pick up from there. So then what happened? Sure. Well, I actually started my career in OBGYN and switched to family medicine. And it turned out to be a really good move for me personally. You make a lot of initial decisions, and especially based on modeling more so of individuals, I think, for me than clinical content. But it was after I had started one specialty that I paused and got a really good look at family medicine. And what I distinctly remember is reading the journal of the American Academy of Family Medicine. And they had great pictures and they had a very broad-based topic of everything from medical to minor procedures. So it really pivot very positive for me. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you were then able to go from like a specialized focus to more broad where you could see all sorts of different patients presenting with all sorts of different unique situations. Yeah. And some people don't have the energy for and are not energized by conversations with individuals or conversations with families or engaging of issues around family systems challenges or people's personal health challenges or dealing with difficult vignettes in their life. And I found that some of the most compelling parts of the work. So it proved to be a great fit. Yeah. So now let's talk a little bit about the other side of the coin, right? So my mom, when I was growing up, was always like, be a doctor, you'll make so much money, you won't have to worry about that, right? So tell us about that aspect of it, because I know a lot of physicians come out of medical school with a mountain of debt, and then they're very focused on their career, and so their finances sort of take the back seat. So tell us a little bit about the finance aspect of your journey. Okay. Well, I became a family medicine doctor and did residency in upstate New York 
met my wife in upstate New York, and it was a very low cost of living area. And I was fortunate to secure a commitment to have medical school debt paid in exchange for an extended commitment to practice in this area. And I would also do ER work on the weekends. So I would do family practice during the week, ER during the weekend. And my wife, who's an entrepreneur, she's a founder and CEO of her own specialty food company, also was used to kind of doing that 24-7, 365 thing. So it worked for us. And I think we were very satisfied with our income at that time. And our work took all our attention. So I know many physicians, some of the study I've done about real estate have concern about their income, but I think that a guiding principle is just live below your means and you just won't be stressed. And then you can do reading as we all get the opportunity to do over time to kind of expand your knowledge of how to broaden your income. But as long as you're not overspending, you have time to do it and can do it without stress. Mm-hmm. And In the physician circles that you were in then and have been a part of throughout the years, do you find that doctors tend to talk about and help each other with finances and investing and things like that? Or is it something that most doctors don't like to talk about? I think it's something most doctors don't like to talk about. I think that our culture is very much about studying human physiology, studying human behavior, working to be highly competent, working to be highly available, working to be highly psychologically engaged. And over the past decade, and it's really accelerated over the past five, there's been tremendous consolidation in healthcare delivery, where the majority of physicians are not independent practitioners, they're employed, and they're employed either by integrated delivery systems, hospital systems, or private equity. And so their thinking about economics is structurally, I think, a little bit different. My father-in-law ran his own practice, right? A number of my relatives when I was younger ran their own practice. It's just not the norm now, not the norm now. Although many single specialty groups have physicians that are the leaders of those entities and might have started as a small entity and have grown the entity. But I would say in the majority, and certainly for family practitioners, the majority are not independent practitioners, they're employed. We talked about this a little bit on another episode, Annie, if you remember, but what would you say your reasoning is, Steve, for this sort of transition and migration over to this moving away from having a private practice and moving into being an employee? What's the reasoning and the cause from your perspective? You mean in general or my individual journey? In general. Well, if you think about revenue and operating margin, the operating margin is very, very tight in primary care practice. I mean, the staff cost and the operating costs are well above 50% of your revenue. Mm -hmm. And while there's been a general movement to value-based care in our country, the overwhelming majority of healthcare transactions are still funded primarily by fee-for-service. I think that will diminish with time. And it's tough to have a successful primary care practice on a fee-for-service income structure. And it's a natural 
for physicians to want to become part of a larger operation where you can get those economies of scale for them personally and for multiple practices. So I think that it's a natural reason why there's a transition. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier that growing up that there were many physicians around you within your family and that there was a small group of entrepreneurs. I'm curious when you were growing up, what did you think of those entrepreneurs? Like, oh, that's something I never want to do. It's too much work, too risky. Any of those thoughts? Or did you just kind of not even really think about that when you were growing up and considering your career path? Those are great questions. And I have to re- reflect back. I think part of it was I was raised by my mom, who was a teacher, and my dad, who was a solo practice dentist who shared office space with another individual. And economics weren't talked a lot about in our household. Education was, and study was. So I was a bit uncomfortable by other relatives who were talking about the car business that they were in (laughs) and the real estate business that they were in because it just didn't align with the culture that I had gotten. And things have evolved with time. On part of my journey, I got a business degree in 1998 to 2000 and then subsequently transferred my career from full-time family medicine to a physician executive role. So my lens on the whole topic really has broadened quite a bit. Yeah. And so tell us about that. What was that like? You went back to get your MBA. Why? What prompted that? What did you hope to get out of it? And do you feel like you got out of it what you wanted to? Yeah. Well, I think as a philosophy major and as someone who's, I would say, more introverted than extroverted, I tend to be thinking about process and structure and strategy in addition to one-on-one relationships. And I had been in full-time practice for five years, and I stepped back and started asking about the U.S. healthcare delivery system and different structures within the healthcare delivery system and different types of industries in healthcare. And that got me all curious. And I, for whatever reason, felt getting an MBA was a way to get empowered with a better understanding of the larger ecosystem. And so I did. And that was a a launching point to a transition to a physician executive role. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like early on you had, or all throughout, you had a good foundation in probably from your upbringing in living below your means. And so probably over the years, you were able to start saving up. Did you start investing in the stock market or how did you come to find real estate? Yeah. Well, actually, I made some early real estate investments without study in about 2005, 2006. So oh, I didn't the golden have, years. they weren't the golden <laughs> years. How about a Florida hurricane two months after purchasing a condominium Yikes. in Florida and suffering Oof. damage from it? So enough to say those decisions were not with prep, not with strategy, not with understanding, and they were very, very painful outcomes. And so I literally exited out of that experience after several years and literally didn't look at any real estate investing for almost a decade. Yeah, can't Um, blame you. (laughs) Yeah. And then decided as I was, I'll have to think back about what the trigger was, but this time started with a fresh point of study. And I didn't consult with any friends or I didn't consult with any physician colleagues. I started reading. And there's a wonderful resource out there you might be aware of called the White Coat Investor. 
And so I got on their mailing list and they're just a rich, organized source of a wide scope of information. And then from them, I got into sub areas of further study and other contacts. So I ended up reading two or three books on real estate and then doing two full courses on real estate. And so then I got a good understanding and then I felt comfortable getting back engaged in the topic. Yeah. And how long would you say that time period was? It sounds like that the education made such a huge difference the second time around. Your experience was so different than the first time around when it sounds like maybe just you heard about an opportunity and jumped into it. So how long was that sort of period of research? And so how long was it? Let's start there. Yeah. Made investments in 2005, 2006 without thoughtful strategy, without an understanding of active, passive, all the different things that I know now that I didn't then. Exited out of all those arrangements by 10-11, paused, didn't look at this again until probably 2019, started reading, started studying, gave two years of or more studying and frankly made my first investments in 2022. We'll get back to our conversation with Dr. G in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now, back to our chat with Dr. Steve Goldberg. I want to highlight that for people because I think some people, when they get into this whole world of real estate investing, they're so eager to jump in and they're like, let me just find the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just, I think I know enough. I know what a cap rate is. Let me just jump into this, right? But the fact that you took your time and took two years, not everybody needs full two years. Some people can do it within a few months. Some people take longer. But the fact that you were very strategic about it and that you took your time and you didn't rush 
into things. I think that probably paved the way for a much more positive experience this time around. The fact that you knew what you were getting into, you had studied and explored all these different avenues and you knew the right path for you. And so when you were looking into all of this research, did you consider, like, were you thinking of, oh, maybe out-of-state rentals or maybe short-term lending or whatever? Did you think about all these different aspects or avenues and ultimately you discovered passive investing in real estate syndications? Or tell us a little bit about that. Well, I'll try to put it together. And again, this is my own individual story. If it can be helpful to others, that's great. I have humility, right? Again, back in five, six, I had an imperative to act without knowledge. It was very painful. And I felt I needed to pause and get oriented. So what did we do? I think the first thing we did, my wife and I, is we had conversations about what our goals were, what our philosophy is. And we fortunately pretty well aligned. I would say that I moved more to her approach than I had. Yeah. (laughs) Well, again, I've got the business degree. She's the one who doesn't yet started a company from scratch and moves multi-million pieces of food every year and has 25 employees. So (laughs) I've got humility, right? We talked about philosophy. We talked about goals. And then we had frank chat about what we feel we know and what we don't know and the unknown unknowns. So what don't we know? So we did rethinking about accountant and we did rethinking about financial advisor. And I know in the physician community, there's a lot of thought about whether you should have a financial advisor or don't. That's beyond the scope of this chat. And then we thought about what can we do to be successful as a couple and what are our priorities? And then think about what to do next. And I would say for us both, I've been incredibly grateful for my professional career and I'm grateful for the work that I do now. It's population health focused, employed by a very large company that gives me the opportunity to leverage skills in a way that can be helpful to the company and our customers. I work with very smart colleagues. So I'm incredibly grateful for all that. And my wife chose a different path. She wanted to be her own boss. She's very creative and talented. She ideates products and she built an operation from scratch and runs it today. So we're on different paths, but we're grateful for the work that we have. Then the question is with what's coming in, what can we do to frankly grow with the best? And again, living below your means is a good start. Thinking about who you want to first serve our children, frankly, and then our others, if time arises and there's need, and then community. And then after that, what do we have as our personal goal? And then how best to achieve it? So when I processed all that, revisiting real estate was an appropriate thing to do. And I felt comfortable doing it. And did you initially invest in, you said you started investing this year, did you invest in syndications first or did you do anything different? Did you go flip a house? I don't think you did, (laughs) but did you just write into syndications or? Yeah, with the work I do in the pandemic, that was my full time. So 
I looked across the spectrum of real estate and I felt passive real estate investing was the best thing for us. And then within categories, I felt comfortable with multifamily. And so we made investments in multifamily and then some of them were straight equity. Some of them were debt and equity combinations. And there were a couple of different reasons we chose both and started with a just tipping the toe in the water, right? And then experiencing the culture of the company that we're interacting with, the financial documents, going through all the metrics, getting comfortable for ourselves that what's forecasted has a a certain likelihood of being able to happen, no guarantees, interacting with the folks that lead investor relations, seeing the type of communication, seeing how the websites are set up, looking at the Better Business Bureau, looking at the deal history, getting a sense if there were times when things weren't anticipated that occurred and how did the company engage in that occurrence? How did they communicate about it? What were their actions? And so we're learning and observing. And then Mm -hmm. likely what I hope to do is find one or two partners for a given type of investment and just look forward to their mailings whenever it comes and put a few kernels that way, right? So that's how we plan to operate. I'm curious what your thoughts are as an investor. What are your thoughts around multifamily right now in terms of the trajectory, the recession resiliency, the safety, the cash flow? What's your opinion on that? Well, okay. So lots of conversations come up about that. I think that, so I'm speaking in this individual in a learning journey. I certainly think things are likely confronting, if you will, tighter margins now and looking forward than things have been, if we will, over the last five years. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's one consideration. I think another macro consideration is what will levels of inflation do and potentially unemployment do to the macro housing environment? And does that create opportunity for single family, multifamily, or frankly, other types of vehicles? You know, Mm -hmm. for example, short-term rentals, hotels and hotels in varying geography, et cetera. So I'm thinking across that whole spectrum. But in general, I still feel that if you're working with a company that is partnering or has a component of their operation with a solid operator, and you're not overpaying, and you have sufficient reserve, then you still have the likelihood of having a successful experience. It might be a point two or three different than five years ago. But frankly, if we look at the overall equity market, and again, I'm just speaking as an individual, I think there's real concern that things could be somewhat flat for an extended interval. So- If you're hearing that, you've got to start thinking about alternative investments. Right. Yeah. I wanted to ask you that question because I know that this is a question that's on the mind of many investors out there that might be thinking about where are we at in the market cycle? What does it mean to invest in multifamily? Is it still everything that I thought it was if I just got in five years ago? Is it still everything that I thought it was in the past? And what are my expectations? I still often hear folks who are still thinking that 8 to 10% cash on cash returns in the first year exist, and they don't. That's the reality. Those kinds of returns don't exist 
exist anymore. And so it's interesting to hear your perspective. And I'm sure there's others listening right now that might share that same perspective or not. And it's, I think, nice to hear from another fellow investor, your opinion on everything. Multifamily for us continues to be a place that will always be our core focus. I believe, especially where we're at, that good portion of your portfolio should still be in multifamily. But you know, as probably some of our audience knows, diversification, as you mentioned, exploring alternative asset classes has been a big focus for us over the last year. And so it's interesting to hear that you're of the same opinion. And hopefully that adds some value for others who might be listening as well and might be wondering where we headed and is this where I still want to be. So this has been such a great conversation, Steve. It's one of the things that's so interesting to me is to hear about your background and then hear about your wife's background. You guys are very different, have taken very different paths, both of you very successful in your own right, but it's very interesting. And I'm reading a book right now. Annie knows we were talking about this the other day, one of Robert Kiyosaki's book, Why A Students Work for C Students. If anyone out there is listening and you have not read this book, it's such a fascinating story about people who move through the education system and go through life down the W-2 route versus folks who go out there and are capitalists at heart and go out and are entrepreneurs and they just have that ingrained in them. And neither one's right or wrong, but he just talks about the different paths and what it all means. And so it's a very fascinating story. And I find that a lot in what in your story and your wife's story. So that's awesome that you guys have been able to come together and respect each other's paths and see the value in both of you. So that's been fun to listen to. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Sure, Julie, if I could react to that. And I read his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all praise to entrepreneurs. And I've seen my wife, the ups and downs and her tenacity that has allowed her to have incremental success. What I'm grateful for and the opportunity to get in working in large companies is that you have a platform where you can impact the number of different individuals. And the company, if you're employed, gives you the opportunity of scale to go do some good work that can impact a number of different individuals. Right. And I get to work with subject matter experts in multiple different fields. It's dizzying. And so to me, it's a cognitive treat every day I wake up, right? And then we're able to measure and see that we're doing good things. So happy for my wife as the entrepreneur, love her for her success, grateful for the work I'm doing. But again, to the conversation we're having about life and money, do you think it's important to make sure you're opening your eyes and get educated and find colleagues and partners who can help get you educated? And then at some point, Once you get to a certain level of knowledge, then take an act. It can be very small and you define what small is, but then take an act and learn from it. And that's what we're doing as a family. Yeah. I just want to add to, you took two years to educate yourself and investigate this whole world of investing, such a disciplined approach to doing that. But the important thing to highlight on that story is just what you said, that at the end of the day, you took some action. And this is something that I think I always try to teach my kids too, that you don't want to get stuck in this world of analysis paralysis, right? And it's really through the act of like making these decisions to move forward and through making mistakes or not 
but it's through the act of the doing that we learn so much. And that's something that I feel like we need to do more of as even as adults and kids, as well as letting our kids and letting ourselves make mistakes. So don't be afraid to go out there and dip your toe in the water, as you said, Steve, and give it a try and see what happens and make more of those mistakes and see what you learn. I think it's interesting because in some ways it's like, oh, what if you had 10 years in 2005, didn't wait those 10 years and got right back into it, into real estate investing. But in so many ways, you needed that break and that time to happen in order for you to get to where you are today of rediscovering real estate investing and going on this journey of educating yourself and then actually making the investments. Everything always happens the way it's supposed to, I believe. So that's awesome. So thank you so much, Steve. We're going to roll into the last part of our show now, The Life and Money show spotlight round. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that we ask all of our guests around life and money. So the first question is around your life and money. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? I would say time with my wife. We really have our rituals were about six o'clock work is done, dinner's prepped, we have two hours together, and it often wraps with a walk where we're catching up during our day. And then we're working to go to bed without cell phones nearby. So I think that's the first intentional step. I think the second one is being present. We have a lot of noise that can come into our heads. So I'm trying to be more intentional that whatever I'm doing, I'm there and I'm not doing others. So those are a couple of things that I would offer. Well, I see now why you guys have been married for 28 years. <laughs> prioritizing your wife and prioritizing time together is something that I think is very hard to do with all of the distractions we have in life with work and investing and kids and hobbies and all kinds of things that we have going on. So that's awesome. I love that. My husband and I over the weekend spent some time together. We did a date night and we sat under the stars and just talked. And we haven't had a chance to do that because our lives are so busy and crazy, but we had a chance and it was so fun. We sat there and tried to figure out where the little dipper and the big dipper was because we're in Hawaii and the sky was very clear. And so it was trying to figure that out. But making that, being intentional about trying to find that time together is, I believe when you have a happy home, that all the other things kind of sort of fall into place. So I love that. All right. Second question is around others' life and money. So what is one life or money hack that you can share that'll make an impact in others' lives right now? Tell me about that a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. So if you have, you've given us so many too. So, I mean, we can refer even back to, you gave us a whole list of different things that you go through to basically vet a sponsor, or is there a little secret that you do in life, maybe a daily ritual that you have that you feel like really gets you ready for your day or could be about either one of those. I build out a schedule, how I spend my day and I have block time for financial study every evening, which is if you make time for it, you'll make time for it. So it's a priority and be calm, be peaceful, be generous with yourself as you're on a learning journey. I find I learn little snippets all the time, whether I'm reading something or I'm listening to someone and I'm okay with where I'm at. There are people that are way ahead and others, and that's okay. I just try to be joyous with the journey that I'm on and we're on as a family. Yeah. I hear so much in your responses, Steve, so much feeling of gratitude 
and in your life. And I love that because I feel like that's really the golden secret to living a happy life is living one that's full of gratitude. But wow, that schedule looks looks like my schedule looks crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. All right. Last question is around life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? Yeah. The one thing that comes to mind is I'm in the process of becoming a volunteer faculty member at UofL and in Louisville, where we live. And the more I'm learning, they have a tremendous amount of innovative research that they're doing and have received national prominence for their spinal cord work and rehab work and other. What I'm trying to do is doing whatever I can with the relationships that I have to help extend the work of their innovators right, to work their way through the FDA, work their way through securing financial support, getting colleague feedback on what they're doing for innovation. So I'm finding that very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's clear from the very outset of your story through where you are now, Steve, that you've always been sort of interested in that cutting edge and interested in the intersection between the medical field and practical application and philosophy to an extent. And so it's fascinating to hear about how your story has unfolded and what's yet to come for this next chapter. So Tell our listeners if they wanted to follow up, connect with you, learn more about all that you're doing, what's the best place that they can go? Just on LinkedIn. I'm there and glad to connect and glad to share my experience. Again, buying a condominium with with a certain level of thought and then experiencing hurricane less than three months later taught me a lot. And I'm glad to save others from some of the insights from that experience and others, and also share some of the learning we continue to do. So through LinkedIn would be great. Well, there you go. All the listeners for more war stories, connect with Steve on LinkedIn. Dr. Steve Goldberg, physician and real estate investor. Steve, thank you so much for being here with us and our listeners today and sharing so generously of your story and your insights. Annie, thank you. Julie, thank you. Continued success. Take care. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of the show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations.